Hello, everyone. This is Lila Rose, and you're listening to The Lila Rose Show. Today's episode is on the topic of persecution. Persecution is something that many of us, or probably all of us, in some way or another, have experienced, or sadly, we have unwittingly or purposefully caused others to experience. Persecution is a human problem. It has existed throughout all of human history. Human beings, we persecute one another and we are persecuted. It stems from the ability in each of us to commit wrongdoing, to commit evil, just like we have the ability to commit good. And the definition of the word persecution has to do with persistently annoying, harassing, being hostile, or ill-treating somebody else, especially because of their religious or their political beliefs. And it comes from the Latin word persecution, persecutionum, which means to follow, pursue, hunt down, proceed against, prosecute. So it's a human problem. And it's especially important to talk about because Even though it may not look like it sometimes in the United States, we have a persecution issue. We have an issue with labeling and seeing others as less than or different than and not wanting to tolerate other people's beliefs. And it's something that I've particularly noticed in the last several years. It's a problem on college campuses. It's a problem in the way we discuss and talk about topics online. It's a problem even economically. Now, there are horrific persecutions happening worldwide right now. I want to mention a couple of them to put this into context. For example, in Iraq, there are there were, used to be 2 million Christians. They are a minority population and always have been. And they are now less than a quarter million because they've been killed or have had to flee because of ISIS, because of attacks from radical Islam. Another example is in China. Both Christians and Muslims are persecuted. Recent word got out that there are actually actually Muslim internment camps, so internment camps where Muslims are put in it by the communist Chinese, and there's very little information about how they're being mistreated. An internment camp is never a good place to be, but it just goes to show that religiously speaking and certain minority groups worldwide are experiencing horrific persecution, sometimes to the point of martyrdom and death. In the United States, it's a little different, but it's also very bad. What we see in the United States, and this is something that's happened just recently, is large corporations and whole political parties and individuals who don't want the other side of an opposing viewpoint or another belief system to be able to even speak or to even exist. Recently, J.P. Morgan Chase closed several accounts of conservative activists with no explanation. So they shut down their bank accounts with no explanation. Many conservatives and those who oppose certain leftist ideologies have been suppressed on social media by the big tech companies or completely shut down. There was a feminist in Canada recently who spoke out about her concern that transgender, the ideology of transgender was actually hurting biological women, and she was banned from Twitter. Live Action has been banned from advertising on Twitter, the organization that I lead, the pro-life group, for the last three or four years. This is despite the fact that pro-abortion groups like Planned Parenthood and other very strong abortion groups are allowed to do advertising on Twitter. I could go on. There are so many examples of 
this sort of entrenched bias in these companies. But I think one of the biggest concerns I have is the way sometimes we talk to each other online or in person and this culture of shaming or silencing when you're faced with a position or an opinion that you don't like. And for those who are listening who are pro-life, who believe in their faith, who are Christians, not everyone listening is a Christian, I understand, but many of you are Christians or Catholics, people who are trying to live in many ways a countercultural life. You're not trying to go the way of the culture when it comes to things like human dignity and sexuality and marriage often are called hateful and bigoted and all kinds of names and the the hostility towards what you believe in and what you stand for is often very strong. We saw this outside of a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic just uh, last month when a state representative in Pennsylvania in Philadelphia walked up to three teenage girls and their mother and his name is Brian Sims and started to harass them, yelling at them, saying that they making fun of their religion, making fun of them being outside, praying outside of Planned Parenthood abortion clinic. And he filmed them and he told the people that he was live streaming the video to his followers on Twitter and Facebook that he would give them a bounty of $100 if they could find the names and identities of these three teen girls. He also mocked an elderly woman who was outside the Planned Parenthood. This is a state elected representative, and he did not apologize. He only apologized to Planned Parenthood for violating Planned Parenthood's non-engagement rule where they don't allow any of their volunteers to even talk to pro-lifers because they're afraid that they, by discussing the abortion topic with a pro-lifer, they might become pro-life. So this is just an example among many. But if you're listening, you probably have experienced times where you felt afraid, afraid to say and stand up for what you believe in, where you felt put down or you felt sidelined or silenced because of what you believe in. And so this is for you. This is for anybody for any reason that has experienced that. And I and I'm sharing this what I, this episode is coming from a place of my faith because I strongly believe that persecution and how we deal with it comes down to a question of our identity. It comes down to a question of who we know ourselves to be. And the reality is if our identity is based in conditional things. So if our identity is who we know ourselves to be is based in, for example, how successful we are, if it's based in how popular we are, if it's based in how respected we are, if it's based in how beautiful we are or well-liked we are or how wealthy we are or how healthy we are, if it's based in any of these attributes, then our identity is conditional. And, we're not, and when we're not seen as one of these things, if some, we're not seen, if we're disliked suddenly, if we're not seen as popular, if we're not seen as beautiful, if we're not seen as successful, if we're not seen as smart, if we're not seen as whatever this, these attributes are, then that's an attack we will feel against our identity. And persecution, the sting of a persecution, the sting of an attack will be that much deeper and can unsettle us because our identity is rooted in the conditional and not in the unconditional. And so I think the core of how we deal with persecution has to do with what is our identity. And if our identity is, as a Christian, and this is my identity, if our identity is strong enough and deep enough 
that nothing, then nothing can change it, change it. And the way to have that identity as a Christian is to know that we are sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of an all-powerful God who loves us, who wants to forgive us, who has come to set us free, and who desires eternal life with us because he loves us so much. If that's our identity, then no matter what we face out there in the world, no matter what kind of attacks or trials or challenges or struggles we face, then we will still be rooted in the peace of knowing we are sons and daughters of God. I believe everybody's called to be a son and daughter of God. God created every single person, no matter their background, no matter anything about them, for him, for eternal love. And it's a human, it's the human story, the human quest to discover our truest and deepest identity. But if our identity is in the conditional, if it's in how the world sees us, if the world approves of us, if other people give us that slap on the back, if other people think we're doing a good job, whatever it is, it will never be enough. And then when we face the, the pain of letting others down or being opposed or even attacked by others, then all of a sudden we will feel this existential pain and this crisis within us instead of knowing that we have the invincible identity of being a son, a son or a daughter of God because that is who we serve and that is who we follow. We are part of a family of God and everybody out there is called to be our brothers and sisters and we can choose to accept that identity or we can choose to reject it. I want to share an incredible story of somebody who so totally knew their identity as a son of God that nothing could face him, not even death. This is a story of Maximilian Kolbe, who was a Polish Franciscan friar during World War II. At age 13, he joined the Franciscans, so he was very young when he felt a call to faith and to live his life completely for God. When Germany invaded Poland, Maximilian Kolbe didn't flee. He stayed put in order to organize a temporary hospital. He was ultimately, even though he was there trying to rescue Jews and he was there to try to provide shelter to refugees, he was also publishing anti-Nazi German publications. And um, because of the work that he was doing, he was ultimately arrested by the Gestapo and taken to Auschwitz. And when he was imprisoned there, he tried to serve like he had been serving before. He was subjected to really terrible harassment and beatings because he was acting as a priest. But despite that, he tried to serve and try to love those around him and tried to cultivate his, uh, the faith for those around him. Well, at the time, a prisoner tried to escape from the camp, which would happen periodically. And this prompted the the SS to pick 10 men to be starved to death inside an underground bunker in order to be a sign to the rest of the prisoners to not even attempt to escape. And when he randomly, during a roll call, picked these 10 different men to be starved to death, one of them cried out and was very distraught and said, my wife, my children, because he was afraid to die and leave behind his children and his wife. And that's when Maximilian Colby stepped out of line and volunteered to take the place of one of these 10 men who had been chosen to be starved to death. At that time, Colby, Maximilian Colby and the other nine men were led into the bunker. They were left there to die. 
And during that time, according to the eyewitnesses, Maximilian Colby would pray with the prisoners. He would be standing or kneeling and he would be singing. And after two weeks of the starvation and the dehydration, only Maximilian Colby was left alive in that bunker. And at that point, the guards gave him a lethal injection because he wasn't dying and he died. This is a martyrdom. This is a story that is horrific, but it also shows Maximilian Kolbe's peace and love in the middle of the worst persecution, even to the point of being willing to take another person's persecution onto himself. And the only way that Maximilian Kolbe was able to do this, and this is something that he even, um, we, we know about his life, when he was a very young man, he had an apparition appear to him of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who said that she had to offer him two crowns, one of purity and one of martyrdom, if he would accept them, and he said he would. So it's something that rooted in his identity as a son of God, as a son of God the Father, as a disciple of Christ. Maximilian Kolbe was prepared. He was preparing, in a way, his whole life for martyrdom, and he was living out his whole life, sacrifice and love for others. So this is a story that's meant to inspire us. It's obviously an incredible story, but it just goes to show that when your identity is so rooted in who you are and whose you are, and Maximilian Kolbe had his eye on eternal life. He knew that this life is not all there is. So even in the worst persecution, he did not flinch. He did not reject his faith. He continued to stand up and serve others, even to the point of giving his life in exchange for another person's life. A few things for those that may experience persecution or may experience challenges. I think it's very important to ask ourselves in any situation to ask, why are we experiencing persecution? Why do we think somebody is treating us poorly or is upset with us? I think sometimes it's absolutely because it is unfair. It is part of the the way that challenges happen when we are standing up for what's right. But sometimes perhaps it could be that we need to improve. We need to improve the way that we're communicating, the way that we're talking with people. Maybe we need to be more loving and understanding. And what we perceive as persecution is actually somebody who is who is just misunderstanding and asking for more respect and love. So that's always important, especially for something as simple as like a conversation with a friend or a a chat room online, leaving comments on Instagram or whatever it is. Our respect and our kindness towards other people is essential because if we're being a jerk, then we shouldn't be surprised when other people are maybe a jerk back to us. The other thing I want to say here too is if we are not experiencing any persecution, If you are out there and you're like, I'm fine, no one's ever been upset with me, then I would say, are you actually really standing up for what's right? Jesus Christ says that blessed are you when they persecute you for my sake. And he said that no servant is above his master. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should experience persecution at some point or another. The world will not love you. The world will hate you. And Christ predicted that. And he said that the world would hate him so much as it did. And that's because of our sin that he was even crucified on a cross. But because no servant is above his or her master, we should not expect to be free of persecution. If Christ was persecuted, so will we be. So if we are just living like the rest of the world, if we are just trying to be pleasing to other people by fitting into their boxes or fitting into how they expect us to live or talk or behave, then perhaps we're not actually being disciples of Christ. Perhaps we're actually not living our truest identity. I want to share a verse from 
the book of Matthew, where Christ promised us persecution. He said in Matthew 5, 43 to 48, Jesus said to his disciples, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly father. For he makes his son rise on the good and the bad and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Before I go on, Jesus is doing something very radical here when it comes to persecution. He's saying that not only should we love our neighbor as ourselves, which is the golden rule, it's something that was instituted even before Christ, but he is saying that we should actually love our enemies, not just our neighbor, but our enemies, and that we should pray for those who persecute you. This is exactly what Maximilian Kolbe did. And he's saying that we should do this, that you may be children of your heavenly father, which is incredible because Jesus here is exactly reminding his disciples of their identity. He's saying, you are children of your heavenly father, you're sons and daughters of God. So you are have this identity, which gives you the strength to pray for those who persecute you, which gives you the strength to love your enemies. And this unconditional identity as children of God is what will enable you to pray for those who persecute you and to stand up to persecution. Um, He goes on and says, Jesus says, for if you love those who love you, what recompense or what reward will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers and sisters only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same. So be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. I mean, very strong words from Christ here in Matthew. Be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. But he's saying that what sets us apart as Christians is the fact that we are the children of God and we love those who are our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. This is our path to perfection. So this is extremely important because what he's doing here is he's transforming. Christ is explaining the transformation of how persecution actually makes us become perfected. It actually teaches us true sacrificial love. Loving our enemies and praying for them. How do we do that? It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. Actually, love asks us to speak the truth. If we're going to love our enemies, it means telling them the truth, doing it lovingly, trying to find ways to do it, but speaking the truth, especially when so many lies are being told. And it also means that we take the time to pray for those who are the enemy, pray for those who are doing the persecution, who are lost in lies, who are confused. The prayer coupled with our courage to speak and our willingness to serve, that is what will help us become like our Heavenly Father, help us become like Christ. I want to say something else on persecution here too. I've talked a lot about persecution from the outside. Um, Obviously, the extreme case of Maximilian Kolbe and and the Nazis literally killing him for, for his faith and for sacrificing for others and caring for the Jews and caring for others, but also persecution can come from inside of us. And this is actually, for me, one of the things that has been the most difficult for me personally. So yes, there's persecution from the opposing side sometimes in politics or in the culture. And, you know, I've had my share of death threats and attacks and stalkers and all kinds of things. But for me personally, sometimes the biggest persecution is from my own, within my own heart, meaning I feel that I'm in my own mind. I think negative thoughts, I doubt or I question, 
you know, if God is really there, I sometimes, um, I know he's there, but I, I'm not really thinking the thoughts of God is with me. Instead, I'm thinking about how things are going to go wrong, or I can think about how I'm not good enough, or I think about how life is not as good. And, you know, there's, there's no way there's a, it's a hopeless case. It's, it's despairing, or you beat yourself up because you're upset at yourself over something. Basically, we persecute ourselves. There's so many negative thoughts, and Satan loves this. This is a spiritual thing too, but it's also a psychological thing. There is a world of negative thoughts and negative ideas and negative emotions that can hurt us and that can make wear wear down on us and and make us feel like we're not really that son or daughter of God. And I think from that perspective it's all the more important to go back to our unconditional identity and to renew both of both our heart and our mind in that identity. And that's what I want to close with. I want to close with some tips for how to do that. So whether we're dealing with persecution from the outside, what other people say about us, what other people do, or we're experiencing persecution from the inside, those negative voices that may come in our head or our heart or those negative feelings that we may face. So the tips I want to share in for protecting our unconditional identity. First of all, and our unconditional identity is what? We're sons and daughters of God. We're destined for eternal life and eternal love with God. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are set free. That's our unconditional identity. And before God, we are his beautiful, most beloved, and and forever to be enjoyed in heaven forever, sons and daughters. Number one tip for protecting our unconditional identity it is necessary for us as humans to find community who are like-minded and who share our beliefs so that we can grow with and that we can grow from their influence. We need other people. We are made for community. We're not made to go it alone. We become, you may have heard it said that we become most like the five people we spend the most amount of time with. You may have heard that. Well, I think it's true. The people that we spend the most time with, the people that we who are our confidants, the people that who we confide in, we share our soul with, these are the people that influence us. And of course, we can influence them. And what I'm saying here is not that we can't have friends who disagree with us or who have different beliefs and that we can't have very close relationships with those that are maybe very different from us. But I'm saying that we need community of those who are on the same path, who believe themselves to be sons and daughters of God, who are trying to actually follow Christ and fulfill his commandments, and who are going to help us become the men and the women we are created to be, who are going to help strengthen our beliefs, belief in God and strengthen our good habits and strengthen what we do, what, what, the good that we can do and who are on that journey with us. So this is something that can be found in churches. It can be found in um, young adults group. You can you know, find a close group of friends in the pro-life movement if you're involved in that, finding some folks who are on the same page. Um, there's even online groups um, or that you can join to at least first connect with people. Of course, I think our community needs to be in person. We need to be in the flesh with each other. But there are people out there like you. There are people out there who want to be disciples of Christ and who believe the truth about life and sex and the dignity of the person and all of these things that are so controversial today um, about abortion and about how sex is for marriage and about God and, and his love. So find those people. And if you are struggling to find them, then look around at the communities close to you, whether it's churches or your local young adults group, if you're a young adult, 
because they are out there. And don't give up until you find that group. It can be just a couple people, but people that you can become friends with that will be on the same page with you. We were made for community. Um, Or a family, people in our family who might be on the same page that we can be close with. Number two is having a relationship with Christ. It's really impossible to be rooted in our identity as a son and daughter of God if we don't have a relationship with Christ. We absolutely need to cultivate that friendship with Christ. So what does that look like to really identify with him and have a friendship with him? Well, first of all, there's three things I'm going to share, but I want to first caveat it and say a relationship with God is not just about our feelings or our subjective experiences. Obviously, those things matter. And we can use them to help draw closer to God. But sometimes we have bad feelings. Sometimes there's an experience we didn't understand that makes us question. What we have to go back to in our relationship with Christ is three things. First of all, prayer. Second of all, study and what God has to say, which is the Bible and the magisterium of the faith. And the third thing, or the the extrapolation of what that teaching of Christ really is. And then the third thing is the sacraments. And to explain each one, first of all, prayer. You actually, we actually need to spend time talking to God and trying to listen in silence for for God in order to actually deepen that relationship with him. And this means taking the time each day set aside. Some of you may go to daily mass or other services, or some of you may just have your 10 minutes or your 30 minutes of quiet time but taking that time to actually sit with God, to share your heart with him, to ask for forgiveness for the things that you need forgiveness for, to give the difficulties to him, to praise him, to thank him, to meditate on the good that he has done, to meditate on his promises. We need to take time for prayer. The second thing is study of his teachings, of Christ's teachings. We need to familiarize ourselves with the life of Christ. Read the Gospels, know the Bible, understand what Christ was saying by taking time to actually sit with it and study it and read commentary on it. If we don't understand the life of Christ, it's probably because we haven't taken enough time to try. And I'm not saying we will completely understand the life of Christ, but we can grow in understanding by taking the time to study it, taking the time to learn it, taking the time to study Christ's life and also the teachings of his church. Study what are the teachings about life and sexuality and marriage and how we are to live and how we are to serve and what it means to be a disciple. So that takes study. So we need to take time for prayer, take time for study. And the last thing about having a relationship with Christ is the sacraments. This is something that these are things that Christ instituted for us to be close to him in a very physical way. So baptism is um, the first sacrament that we have, and it's something that some of us received as children, some of us chose it as teenagers, depending on how we were raised, or maybe even as adults. But baptism is actually adoption into the family of God when we're wiped free of the stain of original sin. It's a physical thing that happens to us with the water, but it's also a spiritual renewal. And it's something that we need in our relationship with Christ. Another sacrament that's very powerful is confession. And this is from the Catholic perspective, or if you're Orthodox, going to confession, you're actually talking through the priest to God. And it's actually a moment where you're sharing your sin and he is explicitly forgiving you. Now, we can still confess our sin anytime, anywhere, but this is also a sacrament where you actually receive through the words of Christ, um, through the words of the priest, the words of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. Another sacrament that's very powerful is marriage. For those of you that are married or feeling called to marriage, this is a sacrament that's meant to draw you closer to Christ. I know in my marriage it absolutely has. 
brought me closer to Christ and to know the love of Christ. So the sacraments are really important. I might talk about that those all in a future episode. But these are this is the life of the church. This is the life of a Christian. Our prayer, our community, our study, our sacraments, um, in it and all through it, developing our relationship with Christ, our friendship with Christ, so we can truly follow him. Bottom line is persecution of any kind, from within or without, can be transformed when we endure it and experience it through the lens of Christ, through the lens of our unconditional identity as children, as sons and daughters of God, and from looking at it in order to transform it, experiencing it to transform it, to use it as an opportunity to love the person persecuting us, to pray, say a prayer for the person we're talking with, whether it's on social media or the friend who disagrees or the person who maybe vandalizes our pro-life sign at our university. I know a bunch of you have faced that. Or we pray for the person that we are debating with, or we, we pray for the, the tech social media tech bosses. We pray for our politicians. We pray for the conversion of souls. And we also speak up. We also speak up and speak the truth as we continue to seek to serve and to love others. With that, when with God's strength, knowing our identity, any persecution is not only bearable, but it is something that we can transform. And that's why this is the secret that Christ left us with. And when he ascended into heaven, he, he gave us, he's, he's teaching us because it's the life that he lived. One where he was persecuted unto death, but he, his own death became a ransom for our sin. And that persecution, when we enter into it in our own little way, whatever we endure or experience, we can become a part of that powerful redeeming love. And that's the beauty of persecution, even when there is the hurt alongside of it. As always, I love hearing from you guys. If anybody has any thoughts or questions or feedback for me for this topic of persecution for this episode, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at thoughts at lilaroseshow.com. That's thoughts at lilaroseshow.com. I hope this episode was helpful was interesting for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you found it useful, please subscribe, please review, leave five stars if you can. That will help this podcast reach more people. And thank you all so much. Have a wonderful rest of your morning, day, evening, night.